Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 22. We're going to re- look at three verses in Proverbs tonight. And then we're going to jump over to something in the New Testament, one verse in the New Testament. I just want you to follow along as we look at this. And this kind of might seem like a weird verse to read, but um, when you read Proverbs chapter 22 and go to verse number 28, it says this, it says, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Pastor Wagner, what does that mean? We're going to look at that. And it's very important that we understand that verse. You know, when you, when you look at this, first of all, I want to thank you for this morning. We had a good attendance this morning. We had a lot of friends and family, and it's always good to have that. It looks like there's more people on this side again tonight. All right. So, um, but the guy that's counting is Wayne Cowden, and he's on this side. So that doesn't matter. It's just whatever he says is we're going to go that direction. But um, the, the Proverbs chapter 22, verse 28 says this. It says, remove not the ancient landmark. You've got to understand biblically what they're talking about here. Um, When you used to buy property in the biblical times, you would have landmarks. Have you ever asked somebody for directions and they've based it on landmarks? I've done that. I've heard that. I've been to small communities and they'll tell you, especially if you're colorblind, it's not really a good thing. Turn at the red barn, look for the blue truck and do all these other things. Turn at the yellow house, okay? When they, when they did this in biblical times, they would set things that they knew could not be moved. But what, what would happen is some people would come and they would move them. Now, there's certain things you cannot move and certain things you can. But here he's talking, when he's talking about this, he says, remove not the ancient landmarks. He's talking about a procedure of where they would know this part to this part to this part is my land. And if you moved them, you are literally robbing them of their land. And so then it says on the next part, it says, which thy fathers have set, meaning it it had been established, it's there. Now you could take this another way also. And it's talking about the church. We're not supposed to remove ancient landmarks. We've got to realize that some things are set in stone when it comes to a church. And so when when it comes to certain things, and we're going to get into those in just a second, we've got to hold to that. I have met many preachers that have changed their directions. I know of three preachers right now that are not even preaching from the King James because they got mad at somebody and they changed their direction because someone offended them. And I, and I look at that and I go, why were you ever based the right way? Did you ever have this stuff set the right way? Probably not. And so when you look at this, it says this, it says, remove not the ancient landmark. How would you feel if this was your land and someone moved a post or a stone? Would it make you mad? Absolutely it would. And so here it's talking about in the biblical sense of a church, we've got to hold to the right things. Now I'm going to say two things and they're going to be, they might sound like they're exactly opposite, but I want you to follow along with me and I'm going to point out what I mean by this. Sometimes when you say, remove not the ancient landmarks, you get to this thing where, oh, you're old fashioned or, oh, you're steadfast, which when they say steadfast, when someone calls you steadfast, it's not usually, it's a biblical term that's a good biblical term, but it's usually not used in the right way when they call you. Because normally when they say steadfast, you know what they're referring to? That you're stubborn. And those, as we've looked at before, stubborn and steadfast are not the same thing. Christ was steadfast, but he was not stubborn. All right. So here, I want you to look at this. I'm going to say two things, and just hear me out after I say them. Number one, the old way is not necessarily the wrong way. 
The old way is not necessarily the wrong way. See, a lot of young preachers think the old way is the wrong way. I know that. I know people that have, that have sat underneath my teachings that have said, listen, we're going to change the direction of what I'm doing, and they're going to change the old ways and make a new way. But when I look at this and I see that the old ways are not necessarily the wrong way, in fact, I think many of them are great ways. Think about these things right now. Salvation. Salvation is not changed. It's not changed one iota since Christ told us what salvation was, since the disciples wrote it down, since Paul talked about salvation. It's never changed. It's an ancient landmark. I've, I've heard people get up and preach and say there's more than one way to get to heaven. That's not true. It's just not even remotely true. If that was the case, Christ died on the cross for no reason. It's an ancient landmark, and it's not wrong. Salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. You can't make yourself a good person and get to heaven. That's not going to work. There's no other way. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Then watch this. And we say those things, but we forget the last part. I am the way, the truth, and the life, but no man cometh unto the Father, what? But by me. And that's Christ saying that. Salvation hasn't changed. There's no way you can make yourself good enough to get to heaven. There's no way you can go through another religion through, through exercising certain things and get to heaven. You can't do it. Not of works lest any man should boast. You can't do it. So here's an old area that sat and it's, and it's there and it doesn't need to be changed. There's nothing to be added to it. Sometimes we add it, add to it. Well, there are some denominations and some religions that say you have to be baptized to be saved. Tell the man on the cross that, because he wasn't baptized. But Jesus said he would see him in paradise. Now, I, I do think this, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, if that guy was down and he could have been baptized, I think he would have been baptized. But he couldn't get baptized of where he was. And they weren't going to let him down to go get baptized and bring him back up there. They weren't going to do that. So here he's by Christ, he sees the Savior, accepts the Savior, and he moves forward. And you know what? He's in heaven today. So salvation is one of those set things that you cannot change. Another one, baptism. You, you, there are people that get upset about baptism. I, I know people that sprinkle their babies. I know people that, 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 use, that just throw some water on you and say you're baptized. If you study the word bat, baptism, it is baptismo, which means this, to dip under. That never said a spoon of water is going to make you there. If you look it up in the Bible, guess what? Baptism was always submersion. I've had about everything happen that could happen in a baptismal. Happen to me. I've had a, a lady get out of the baptism and she, a baptismal and she's walking up. She slips on the last step. And I'm saying, we're, we're finished. We're going to go. We're going, and she hits and does a, a belly. And she boom, and hits it again and just soaks me. I've had everything could happen. I've, I've done some things in the baptism. There's been bad things that, that have happened to me in the baptism. I feel sometimes I'm nervous when I get up there. The one that really shocked me was one time I baptized a girl, and I, and I kept remembering what um, my teacher told me in college. They have to be totally submersed. And I don't know what made me do this, but when I baptized her, when I got her down, I know, and I don't know, it was a subconscious in me, I noticed that the part of her forehead was not all the way under. 
And I, and, I, and I was fine with it till I brought her back up, and then I thought, that's not what God said. And so I held her, held her again and put her all the way under, and I remember her going, why did you do that? I think God would have looked at that and said, okay, she's baptized, all right? But baptism has not changed. I love when you read the story of when John the Baptist baptized Christ, and you hear God speak when it's all said and done. That's just an amazing story to me. Baptism has not changed. We were in, when we were in Hawaii, they showed me their baptismal pool. And we've got a lot to be thankful for. Because they have a, they have a business that's converted into a church. Well, outside is their baptismal. And you have to go outside to baptize people. And it looks more like a jacuzzi type thing that they baptize in. But you know what? It doesn't change. The water doesn't change from there to here. It all means the same thing. See, baptism is, is a set thing. And people say, well, you don't have to be saved. You don't have to be baptized. Baptism will not get you saved. That's a true statement. But when you get saved, you want to follow what God said and follow that order. That's why Jesus got baptized. It was so that people would see, this is what you do. So baptism, salvation, there's other things, missions-minded. We should never change what we're doing when it comes to missions-minded. And then I even think this, the Ten Commandments, they haven't changed. Even when they asked Jesus, and we went way over this, we went through the Ten Commandments and we went through the Two Commandments, but even when they asked Jesus what the best commandments were, he gave two commandments which reiterated what the Ten Commandments were. They all fell on those, those two commandments. They have not changed. This is something that is set. See, this is what's going on in America when we throw everything, the Ten Commandments, out of the schools. We can't figure out why they want to do the things that they do. I'm telling you, we live in a wicked world, but we've got to get back and have these landmarks set. And there's nothing wrong with old hymns. I love old hymns. You know, how great thou art. I, I love songs, and there's some that are even old. Amazing grace, when you think of some of these that were penned and why they were penned. It is well with my soul. There's nothing wrong with those songs. We've got a hold to those songs. In fact, if you listen to those songs, there's a lot of doctrine in those songs. And they were written for that. And so the first one is this. The old way is not necessarily the wrong way. Because some of the young preachers are saying it is. Now, this is where you're going to see the contradictions. The old way can be modified to fit current ways. And I'll explain what I mean by that. See, old preachers sometimes don't want to do this. But if you were to ask me, I, I grew up, I, I graduated in 1984. If you were to ask me what Facebook was in 1984, I could never, I, I, can you imagine walking up to somebody in 1984, hey, what's your Facebook page say? They would have no idea what that means. They'd have no idea what Twitter is. Thank God for Al Gore, we have the internet, praise God. We have the internet now. We have all these things. And some people are saying, we can't, we, can't, we can't look at these things, we can't use it. There's nothing wrong with using these things. In fact, most people visit churches over one thing. They, they, they're not going to find our church driving around. It's in the middle of a subdivision, it's in the back of the subdivision, Right? But what they will do is they'll look at the internet, find out where it's at, and they'll go that way. There's nothing wrong with that. 
we could sit there. How many of you have a Facebook page? Did you raise your hand? You know, after the hack, I'm glad I don't have a Facebook page. But, you know, I used to have one, and I don't have any more. I don't know what it is, how to work Twitter. But, there, but there's something there to work on. When I have a question, when I have a computer question, I ask Daniel. And, and Daniel will tell me, this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing this. this is, I have no earthly idea. But there's nothing wrong with it. Instagram, there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is, is when you look at some of these, they can be used for good or they can be used for bad. So we've got to be very careful with what we do. But there's nothing wrong with that. There's also nothing wrong with new songs. Now, I'm not talking about contemporary songs. I'm talking about the two songs we just sang at the beginning of the service. The one was written in 1978 by Patch the Pirate, by Ron Hamilton. The second song we sang, and My Life is Yours to Control, is not a very old song. And you've got some other songs that are in the hymnal. I, I, I love some of the newer songs, but then I love some of the old songs. There's nothing wrong with it, but you've got to have a balance. You've got to hold that ancient landmark and not move that ancient landmark. And don't cross that line, because once you cross that line, it's a problem. When you, when you look at where, we're, where you're going, where the church is going, we've got to hold that line and understand that God wants us to hold He wants us to hold that ancient landmark. There's nothing wrong with saying you're a Baptist. There's nothing wrong with that. Know why you're a Baptist. There's nothing wrong with saying you're an independent Baptist. Some people don't even know what that is. And I don't even know if you even understand how many different, in, different Baptists there are. There's hard shell, there's primitive there's Southern, there's, there's Independent Baptists, there's American Baptists, and, and there's just, and so many Baptists in there, and even in that realm, there's different kinds of churches in those realms. I can tell you that there's Independent Baptists that don't look anything like us. Then I could, on the good side, and, and then there's some on the bad side, you go, there, we're, there's an array of different ones. But people need to see a consistency, and that's the thing we've got to get back to. We can't move the ancient landmarks. And don't, don't forsake what your fathers have set. Now, who wrote this? Who wrote most of your Proverbs? A man by the name of Solomon. I wonder what he thought when Rehoboam came along. Because most people don't even know who Rehoboam is. But it was Solomon's son that became king. One of the saddest stories when you read about Rehoboam. It says this in the scriptures, it says, He did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. And I wonder how many times Solomon would look at writing like this and say, don't remove those ancient landmarks that your fathers have set. Because when he moved in to the kingdom, he took all the counsel that he had, that, that, that David and Solomon had, threw them out and brought his, what I would call, buddies in to give him counsel. And those buddies took him the wrong direction. And see, he knew exactly what he was doing because he built up his armies, he built everything up, and when he got to a size that he felt like he was safe without God, he rejected God, threw him out, and then took over and said, follow me. He had thrown out those ancient landmarks. See, there's nothing wrong with, with old-fashioned things. There's nothing wrong with those. Young preachers will tell you you shouldn't do them. And there's nothing wrong with new ways. 
Old preachers sometimes think this way. Technology sometimes, sometimes can destroy us, but there's got to be a balance. Let's look at what the Bible says about a balance. I want you to look at two verses in Proverbs. Go to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. And here he's talking about a balance. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Now let's look at it in biblical terms, and then let's make a, a church principle with it. The biblical terms he's talking about here is going to a market and buying something and buying it and the guy being honest and putting the right weight on it. Because in biblical times, you go and say, hey, I want a pound of this or two pounds of this. And they would put it on there. They would have something that would say two pounds and they would balance them out. And then you would buy them for that amount. But he's saying when he's reading this, he says a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. He's saying if you're trying to cheat this thing, you're, God hates you for doing this. Be honest. And then it says this, but a just weight is his delight. If it's balanced and it's fair, hey, that's what it needs to be. Now, let's apply this in a different application when it comes to the church. If you have a false balance, it's not going to be to your favor. Right? If you ever have children in your house, they can tell when you are false balanced. They can tell when you say, don't do that, and you're doing it. You shouldn't watch that, and you're watching it. Don't go there, and they're going there. That's a false balance. And I want to tell you something. Your kids will see it in a heartbeat. People around you will see it in a heartbeat. We've got to have the right balance. Let's go to the other one that's found in here about the balance. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 20, and verse 23 is the other time it's mentioned about a false balance. 2023 says this. It says, divers' weights are an abomination to the Lord. And a false balance, what's it say? is not good. And it's saying the same thing, reiterating what the, he said in, in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1. He said it's not good to have a false balance. We need to understand what we're doing. We've got to have a balance in what we're doing. We've got to have a, a church that's balanced. In other words, we, we've got to seek the lost, but we've also got to strengthen the saints. And if we don't have those balances and we don't have those checks, it's going to mess everything up. That's why we need missionaries. Man, it's wonderful to meet the missionaries. You know, I'm going to a conference tomorrow at Southwhite, and I'm going to see some of our missionaries. J.B. Godfrey will be there. Uh, the man that, that, that was here for a little bit, Lockhart, he will be Brother Lockhart will be there. I get to see them. I get to, I get to spend time with them. And it's wonderful to be with them. But we can't forsake world evangelism and throw out our missionaries. World evangelism is our missionaries. It's a balance. We've got to have a balance in our life. And to show you this, I want you to step back in time. I want you to think of something. We've got to be consistent in our life. We've got to see what's, what's very important in our life, in our church, what is, what is important. This is in all areas of your life, but sometimes we forget where we came from. Let me, let me just tell you a story. There's a man in the, in the Bible by the name of Joseph. Everybody knows him. Not the New Testament Joseph, the Old Testament Joseph. All right, who is his mom and dad? Anybody want to say? Jacob and Rachel. Jacob and Rachel had two children. How many children did Jacob have? He had 12. He had 10 from one woman and two from another. Jacob didn't learn and he had favorites. Joseph was his favorite. We know Joseph as what? What did he give his son? The coat of many colors. Not only to show that he's his favorite, but let's make him stick out in front of everybody. 
So he gives him this jacket. He goes to his brothers. He makes one, I think, one mistake through the whole thing, and here it is. He tells his older brothers that they will bow down to him. And I really don't think he meant it as a mistake, but they took it as that. You don't tell, I've got an older brother that'll be here next week. I would never tell my older brother, hey, buddy, you're going to bow down to me. It's not a good thing. And so here he tells them, and what happens? Dad's not there. They take him, they take his jacket, put blood all over it, give it back to their dad. And then they throw him in a, in, in a pit, and they want to kill him. But one brother steps up and says, okay, we're going to get him out, and they take him and they sell him into slavery. And so then he gets sold into slavery, and then Potiphar buys him. And everything in Potiphar's house when Joseph is there is just going great. And what happens? Potiphar's wife makes a false accusation towards him. And he's cast into a jail. And then he gets into this jail and he starts working his way up in even in the jail system back then. And he's somebody that, that everybody loves. And then he starts telling these dreams that people are seeing. Baker and a butler come and he tells both dreams. And I guarantee you the second one, when he heard the first one was good, he was like, tell me what mine is. And he says, you're going to die. And so the one gets out. He says, I'll remember you. And then he's with Pharaoh and Pharaoh has a dream. Two years have elapsed. And then Pharaoh gets up there and he says he has a dream. He wants people to interpret the dream. No one can do it. So finally the guy goes, hey, he interpreted the dream for me. He can interpret the dream for you. And they bring him up. He looks so bad that they have to clean him up, shave him, and bring him in front of Pharaoh. He brings him up to Pharaoh and he tells the Pharaoh the dream. He says, listen, in seven years... All these things are telling you you're going to have good seven years and then you're going to have a bad seven years. And when I say bad seven years, it's going to be a really bad seven years. And so you've got to be able to do it. And so he tells him, and I think when Joseph tells the story, he's just sitting there going, okay, that's the story. And then Pharaoh makes this one statement. He goes, there's no one in the land that can do this, only you. Now think about this. Here's a man that's been in jail they have to shave, clean him up, bring him in there, let him get before Pharaoh. They have to clean him all up, doll him up, bring him in. He answers the question. It's the last thing in his mind that he's going to be in charge of this. And sometimes we overlook what he did. But he literally saved the nation of Egypt, nation of Israel, and he saved the world. And it was all on his shoulders. Now remember those brothers? We all know the story. Those brothers are in a different land and they need some food. So they have to find Joseph. They don't, they don't, they're not finding Joseph. They're going to go where the food is and they go where the food is. Like on Sunday night, we always go to Pals. That's where the food is on Sunday night, amen? And so they go where the food is and, and all of a sudden they walk in and Joseph knows who they are. But he doesn't, sh he doesn't share who he is. I can almost, when I, when I think about this, I can tell you what I think Joseph looked like. He looked like that Pharaoh. He probably had makeup on, gold, black. He, he looked totally different where his brothers could not understand him. In fact, what did it say, what did it say about Joseph? They started talking in a different tongue so that his brothers couldn't understand him. And meanwhile, he's listening to what they're saying. He knows exactly who they are. And you know what I think about Joseph? 
is he is a man that is full of character. And if, if you, he is my favorite person to study. Because here's a man that could have looked at his brothers and killed every one of them. And rightly so. And because over a period of time, I think it's 27 years before he sees him again. And here they come along the scene and he doesn't do what I would have done. He doesn't do what you probably would have done. He forgives them, hugs their neck, and says, is dad still alive? And then dad comes. And you know what? Sure enough, his dream came true, but they sure were thankful it came through. So you have the whole story of Joseph. You say, why are you telling this story when it's talking about a balance in ancient landmarks? I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll be done. Hebrews chapter 11 is what we call the chapter of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is a very interesting, interesting passage of Scripture because you find people in there that we know. Moses talked about the Red Sea. talks about all these different people in here. It talks about Abel, Enoch. talks about Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac. talks about Rahab, the harlots in there. It talks about Gideon. It talks about Samson, David, Jephthah, Samuel. But you know what? Joseph is found in there also. And out of all the things that Paul could have wrote in Hebrews chapter 11, Here's a young man that was sold into slavery. Didn't give up on God. Here's a, here's a man that went through the slavery, went, was sold to Potiphar, was, was great in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's house did great, but then he was put in jail. And when he was in jail, he didn't suffer. He, he suffered, but yet he, brought, he came up to the top. Then he was also, it, right, he was a sec, you realize that he was the number two person in the world at that point. But that's not what it says about him in this chapter. When you read this, you go, what's the significance of that? Let's read it. You've probably found it by now. It's found in verse number 22. It didn't say the big things that he did. It says this, by faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. It was not Joseph's choice to live in Egypt. Joseph's heart was with the Israelis. He wanted to be with them. You know what he wanted? He wanted that ancient landmark. So when he died, you'll find it in the scriptures. They took his bones and they took him with the children of Israel, and they buried him in the promised land. You would think that they would mention how great of a man he was and how forgiving he was and how all these things he did, but it was about the ancient landmarks in his life. We've got to hold to him. Do I think we've collapsed on him? No. But we can't collapse on him. You know why? Because the world's counting on us. The world's counting on us for salvation. The world's counting on us for baptism. The world's counting on us for, for um, missionaries. The world's counting on us to, watch, to keep the Ten Commandments. It's not easy. But God does not want us to change the ancient landmarks. We need, to, we need to keep the ancient landmarks which our fathers have set. It's very important that we do that with every head bowed and every eye closed. You say, well, Pastor Wagner, what are you trying to get at? I'm trying to get that we don't need to change. We need to do what's right. 
We need to do what's right. Just that simple. Just that simple. We don't have to find something new. We don't have to, we don't, we, we don't have to go a different direction. That's not what I want. And that's not what God wants. He wants us to be set in our ways. There's nothing wrong with new songs. There's nothing wrong with old songs. We've got to have a balance. Lord, I, I thank you for all the things that you've done. I thank you for your words that never return void to us. Lord, sometimes I look at some of the friends that I have in college and the direction that they've went. And I look back and, I, and then I look at how their kids respond, how their kids act, and, and then I see some things that really concern me. Now we have a just weight. Now we understand a false balance is not good. And may we understand that we need to keep, we, when it comes to the ancient landmarks, we need to not remove them, which our fathers have said. Lord, thank you for salvation. Thank you for baptism. Thank you that you've never changed on any of those. But Lord, may we truly see what you need us to be. And guide us in ways only you can. Be with this invitation that we'll just spend some time as a church praying for our church. May we truly understand that you have something great for us. May we get a vision of what you have for us. And may you guide us in the ways that you need to guide us. And we'll give you all the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you could stand for us with no one looking around, and I know we have visitors in here, but just we're going to take a short invitation, and I just want you to do this. Either come to this old-fashioned altar, sit at your pew, and just pray, number one, for the direction of the church, and number two, for the direction of this world and the direction of this nation. Are you not concerned about what's going on? I am. I am really concerned. My heart is broken over some things. And as, as I think, even my, my son-in-law is a police officer, it concerns me that he's a police officer. You just never know what they're going to see, what they're going to do. It's time that God's people hold to those landmarks and don't change those and move forward going the right direction. 